back at it again on the Bear Facts podcast, all about UCLA sports uh, with Ben Bolch. I'm Lindsay here at the Los Angeles Times. We have a lot to get to today after the Bruins season opener in College Station uh, against Texas A&M, losing in heartbreaking fashion, 31-24 in overtime. We're going to touch on that game. Look ahead to this weekend's matchup against UNLV, and Ben's even going to slide in a little bit of chatter about basketball uh, since talking to Coach Steve Alford since the return of the Bruins from Australia. Ben, pretty exciting. Basketball and football in one. I know. I'm just sad I didn't get to go. Australia was probably my favorite trip I ever took back in 2001. And uh, because they went during football training camp, I was not able to go. But uh, it sounded like a fun trip. Did you talk to Steve about that, maybe scheduling at a better time in the future? I know. He's got to think about me first, right? That you got to then bolt should comes first and then we worry about what's good for our team I that's I know that's how I schedule my week <laughs> I make sure it fits around your schedule first Ben and then I do all my other stuff accordingly um, I'm just kidding that's not true okay so let's get into the game your first road trip with the Bruins Kyle Field College Station I heard they were chanting 50,000 during the game yeah I think that you're to blame for that I'm with, not with to blame tweet about uh, Josh Rosen but uh yeah, it was interesting. You know, Josh Rosen was looking like he was going to have a horrible game. Uh, he had thrown his, his second interception, and the crowd started chanting 50,000 uh, in reference to him saying that crowds over 50,000 all basically sound the same. You can't get any louder. And then, you know, he comes out and basically brings the Bruins back. And at one point, uh, he even taunted the crowd a little bit. He, he was, yeah, raising his arms, yeah. telling them to get yeah, louder. Yeah, it was kind of oh, cool. I didn't I actually miss it cool, at the moment. That kind of cool, you made kind of crazy. No, he, he thrives off that stuff. I mean, if you, if you watch that game, after they chanted him was when he played his best. He brought them back on those two drives, tied mm-hmm. the score. Um, then they had the weird thing with the snap where Jim Morris says that the ref tapped Scott Quisenberry triggering a, a premature snap mm-hmm. that Rosen wasn't ready for. He, he picked the ball up off the turf, kind of chucked the ball up there, didn't see the linebacker that had snuck in underneath the coverage and didn't, over, didn't get it over him, and that was interception. I really felt UCLA was driving for the winning field goal at that point. They had all the momentum. Um, so that was really uh, – Josh Rosen said it was turning a car crash into a fatality. I think that's a, a little bit much to say that. But Interesting I, 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 get analogy, his, I get his Josh. point there. Yeah that uh, he made a bad situation worse with that throw. And, and that really, to me, was kind of the ball game right yeah. there. Now, have you had a chance to go back and look at the actual play and see if the ref did indeed tap you Scott? You know, the, the CBS footage that they put online is kind of confusing because you do see the ref kind of go by Scott and, and it looks like he touches him. But then the snap doesn't seem to be for a while after that. Um, but they cut away from the, the line of scrimmage. So I'm not sure if he touched him again or if he was thrown off by that. But definitely it did look like he went right by him and made some contact. So uh, as of a couple of days ago, Jim Moore had asked the Pac-12 for some clarification. And, and late, last I heard, he had not received it. Josh Rosen's stat line, pretty interesting. 343 passing yards, one touchdown, but those three interceptions, that's what really stands out if you're just looking at the box score. Yeah, three interceptions, and two of them were, were really his fault. There was one in the first half. <laughs> Where to put it lightly. Well, he, you know, he, he was getting wrapped up and then just kind of like flung the ball up for grabs like he was uh, a sixth grader playing in the street with his friends uh, or something. And, and then the other one was the one we just talked about where he didn't see the linebacker that had snuck in mm-hmm. um, and, and, and kind of underthrew the ball a little bit. Uh, the, the third interception was one that I believe was off the hands of Alex Van Dyke, so you can't blame Josh Rosen for that. But he did tie a career high with three interceptions. 
um, and, and really, really took it out on himself after the game. Uh, did not mince any words as far as it being shouldering this loss squarely on him. And I, and I think to some degree uh, that, was, that was the right move. He had played you know, what was probably the worst game of his career. Um, certainly there were some drops and some other things with this new offense that kind of working the kinks out. But uh, Josh Rosen definitely has to play better than that for, for them to win a game like that. Worst game of his career, but still pretty impressive. 343 yards uh, passing. Rushing. What happened to Nate Starks? Yeah, that's the big mystery right now. You know, Jim Moore is not the type that will come out and say that a player is suspended, but this certainly has the feeling. Oh, he's the not feeling, the type to, to just tell us what we want to know? Uh, or to, to tell us what's actually happening. happening. Um, but, you know, this has the feel of a suspension. Nate Starks has returned to practice this week, according to Moore, and it will be a game-time decision uh, as far as whether he plays. One little interesting wrinkle to throw in about Nate Starks um, he has a history of, of discipline issues. He was actually dismissed from high school at Bishop Gorman for violating school rules uh, in 2013. And interestingly enough, UCLA plays UNLV, his hometown team, mm. this weekend. So you know he wants to play in this game. Mm -hmm. And that, that's an interesting added dimension that if he's held out, you know it's something pretty significant. Now, I've checked with law enforcement, and, and as, I, as, as I can tell, there's nothing legal there. So it sounds like some kind of team issue going on with Nate Starks. Nobody has said what it is, um, but it'll be very telling whether or not he plays Saturday as to, to how big of a deal it is. So, so Jamabo with Nate Starks' absence really got a bulk of the carries, almost a hundred yard rushing game. How do you kind of sum up this game? You know, you go to College Station, it's a hostile environment. They had a 15 point, they overcame a 15 point deficit could have they had a very good chance to win in overtime um i mean is there such thing as a moral victory in this kind of loss a game that was very winnable which i have to say going into it it didn't look as winnable as perhaps it was well i, I thought it was very winnable i picked ucla to win but uh I, I i understand what you're saying i mean you could i think the glass half empty and the glass half full people both can make pretty compelling cases on the one hand you know they left a lot of points on the field they mm -hmm. were one for six getting touchdowns in the red zone. Um, they got down big. Uh, but on the flip side, they came back. Josh Rosen looked pretty darn good late. And, you know, there were some encouraging things to build on. So it's one of those games where you can say this team is a mess. And there's another thing where you can say uh, there's a lot of promise and just give them time to work it out. It was interesting. I was over in uh, Arlington watching the very end of the game. They put it up on the big screen at AT&T Stadium, Jerry World. Uh, nothing like seeing life-size Josh Rosen complete a, a tying touchdown, run over and give Jim Mora a big hug. It was weird, though, because SC fans seem to be booing. But the fact of the matter is, SC was playing an SEC school, UCLA is playing an SEC school. When are Pac-12 fans going to learn that until you play each other, you should probably be rooting for your own conference in those out-of-conference games? No, I disagree there, Lindsay. No, you I, can't. I, not with the college <laughs> football playoff. Oh, come on. No, with the college arrival football playoff. No. I, I grew, is, listen to me. I grew up in, in uh, Raleigh, North Carolina, rooting for NC no. State. And it, anytime North Carolina played the Russians in an exhibition game, I was going for the Russians. So I know... <laughs> what it's like okay, to so have that mark, kind of mentality. Mark this down as the first real debate that Ben and I have because here's the thing, with the college football playoff, the Pac-12 needs to be as strong as possible, which means they need everyone to beat 
anybody who they play out of conference. So in that kind of situation, UCLA or USC should want their rival to win. That way when they meet each other at the end of the season and they play each other, their resume looks that much stronger. I, I, you can't I think disagree that's a, that's with that. That's a valid point, you but I, I, I think that, that uh, the, the conference will stand on its own regardless of – Yeah, you know, stand on a, its a, own outside the big picture. No, I mean, I think that, you know, one little, you know, USC can do whatever it's wa it wants, and obviously that will contribute, but I understand that, I mean, if you hate a team, you hate a team, and, and, and there's bigger picture than worrying no, about in strength. No, the, the bigger picture, no, but that's the bigger picture. You have to worry about your conference, because there's only four spots in the college football playoff. Yes. There's five power five conferences, and then this year Houston could throw an entire wrinkle in the, in the thing if they don't stumble. So you need your conference to perform really, really well in those out-of-conference games. So I just think I – mean, and look, I went to Washington. We hate Oregon as, as Huskies. We hated uh, Washington State. But you got to believe, with the way the college football is set up now, you want them to do well until you play them, and then you want to annihilate them. I, I, it's going to be an agree-to-disagree situation here, but I understand your point. I think it's a, it's a like pretty strong You like how Ben disagreed to disagree. Okay. I don't agree to disagree, but I do agree that we have a lot to do today, so I'm just going to move on. Uh, tight end situation got a little bit interesting. Caleb Wilson, what an interesting story he has. So he walked on over at USC where his father was the former defensive line coach. Redshirted last season. His father left uh, when a bunch of coaches weren't retained from Steve Sarkeesian's staff. Caleb opted to come over to UCLA where he earned a scholarship which is really, really exciting for the young man. And now he finds himself in a pretty prominent position. Yeah, and it's interesting to think, you know, only until a couple of years ago, I believe they changed the transfer rules where, you know, if you're transferring within conference, I think it used to be you had to sit out maybe two years. Uh, but now, mm -hmm. you know, he's coming in and, and, and can play right away. In the first game, he had one catch for 17 yards. And uh, Jim Mora was really high on him well beyond that. He said that, uh, you know, he'd really shown something in the preseason, uh, something to the effect that he had shown an aura of dependability and, and chemistry with Josh Rosen. So um, based on that, he's going to get more playing time. Uh, and then there was a name he threw out that kind of took me off guard that he said would also get uh, more playing time, and that's uh, uh, Giovanni Gentosi, uh, and, and, and a tight end. And I think a, a big part of this is – that, you know, they actually went to a bunch of two tight end sets and, and occasionally would have two on one side and one on the other. Uh, so tight ends, you know, we knew that they would be a bigger part of what was going on here. But, I mean, there were plays where they had three tight ends in the game. Um, so they really ramped it up. And, and it sounds like the pecking order has kind of changed based on what we saw there. And, the, and kind of the, the, the fallout from that is that Nate Essay, who – looked great in, in training camp and that Jim Moore had lauded as somebody who had the hands uh, of Jerry Rice and Chris Carter talking about a couple of NH, uh, NFL Hall of Famers is now kind of falling off the radar a little bit and said uh, he would get less playing time. Um, and I was a little bit surprised by that because I expected big things from him. I think I only recall Josh Rosen throwing to him once in that first game and it was incomplete. There may have been uh, another time or two, but uh, it certainly didn't make the impact that we thought he would. And, and I have to imagine, even though Jim Moore didn't say it explicitly, that you know his blocking was not up to what they were expecting. So I, I think there's a couple of factors at play there. Caleb Wilson's a, a really big guy, really big physical guy. So I think that was part of the change here. Giovanni Gentosi, I just had to look him up because I'm going to be honest with you, I never heard the name. He's listed as an offensive lineman. 
255 pounds and a red shirt freshman yeah. out of Newport Beach. Yeah, it kind of took me, I think it took everybody by surprise. It was a name, and even Jim had mentioned, you know, it was a name that hadn't been mentioned basically all preseason. So he kind of uh, has really kind of come up and made a name for himself quickly, and they're, they're happy with what he's done so far, and, and he's going to get to play more. Defensively, uh, the return of Eddie Vanderdose. Really, really encouraging. I like the way he moved. Um, you know, they didn't do a great job of stopping the run in this game. They gave up a little. Which is a, what they spent their entire yes. offseason trying to figure out. Yeah, but let's, let's, let's you know, give them uh, a little bit of a pass because uh, Tack McKinley and Deion Holland. Tack McKinley got injured early in the game with the groin, tried to come back late and just really re-injured it and had to leave. Um, so he was basically only in the game combined for I think less than a quarter. And that was a huge loss. They, they also didn't have Deion Hollins uh, who was, was out with concussion. So th their pass rush was really kind of shorthanded. They were uh, moving guys like uh, Keyshawn Lucier South and uh, Jacob uh, Tuioti Mariner in there, and they both, you know, showed moments of, of being able to, to play, but they're not at the level of those other guys who are out. So that was a big reason that the Bruins' pass rush uh, was not very effective, and it also hurt them against the run. How did Ishmael look, Adams look over on offense? You know, that was a little bit of a disappointment as well. You know, I thought him and, and Nate Yessi, as we had mentioned, uh, would be bigger factors. Uh, Ishmael, I think, um, you know, only got the ball a couple of times. Um, he only had one catch. They, they tried to run him, I believe, in the overtime period mm -hmm. on a sweep, and it, it went nowhere. Um, so, you know, that was a little bit of a disappointment, but I think it's certainly too early to give up him, on him by any means. I, I know that he's going to make big plays in this offense. They just have to figure out how to get him the ball in the right spots. After the Bruins lost Jordan Payton and uh, Thomas Duarte after last season, Kenneth Walker III, I know you had a story come out about him. Based off uh, the game, 150 yard, 15 yards, six receptions, and touchdown. It looks like he's kind of the guy that Josh Rosen is, is going to be looking for in those big play moments. Yeah, he's definitely. We knew he would be the top deep threat just because of his speed. He's a Pac-12 uh, sprinter who was sixth in the Pac-12 championships. But the big, the big difference this year, as, as I wrote about today, and here's, you know, my I always have a I have a plug uh, every week. And no here shame. It is. Plug here away. It is. Yeah, my story that's in today's LA Times was about. Uh, basically him, uh, you know, rebuilding the confidence that he needed to, to catch the ball because last year a lot of people remember uh, Josh Rosen's first collegiate pass was a deep throw to and Kenneth Walker yep. that should have been caught for oh, a touchdown and he dropped it. Um, and that kind of stuck with them. And, and, and I think I called it on this podcast a couple of week ago, weeks ago that I would not be surprised if they went to, to Walker on the first pass and they did. And it fell incomplete, but there were two penalties on Texas A&M. It was pass interference and roughing the passer, so we can't really hold that against Kenny Walker. No. But he had a fabulous game. There was the one catch uh, in, in, late in the fourth quarter where I don't know how he ca caught it. I mean, he was really kind of twisting his body around. The ball was coming in over his shoulder. He kind of turned around. If you watch the replay, he really snagged it with his fingertips, and it was an amazing catch between two defenders, and then he just ran into the end zone for a 62-yard touchdown. Um, really a highlight play of highlight plays. Um, so I think that was another confidence booster, and we're going to see big things from Kenny Walker all season long. 
Injury-wise, I know you've already mentioned a few guys who got banged up during the game, but what do their situations look like going forward? Yeah, you know, uh, Jim Morris said this week that he's going to be very cautious with uh, Tack McKinley because it's a groin issue that's really gone all the way back to fairly early in training camp, and he's kind of come back from it, suffered a setback, come back, suffered a setback. So I think uh, he said that he's unlikely to play. Um, you know, this is probably a game where it would be better to sit him out. They probably have enough. Uh, depth defensively against UNLV uh, as it is. So I probably would expect him not to play. Deion Hollins was out in practice, but he was wearing the red uh, non-contact jersey a couple of days that we were able to watch this, this, uh, um, this week. So I, I think he's probably unlikely to play as well. Um, so those two will probably be out. The, the good news, the flip side, is that Cam Griffin, the fullback, uh, will be back, and he's been battling a concussion since the end of the first week of training camp. So that'll be uh, an interesting new wrinkle. They had Ainu Tawa in at fullback last week, and, and that's another name that I thought would, you know, be able to do something uh, in some short yardage situations, maybe, you know. Ainu Tawa, the one who had the body slam, remember that, like the first week of training camp? Yes, the first day. That was the first insane. Day, first, the first day. day. Yeah. I thought for uh, sure we'd see him emerge after that play. Well, I think he, he will um, definitely at some point this season. I just expected to see it against Texas A&M, and we really didn't. Uh, so UCLA started the season opening against Texas A&M. That is by no means a cakewalk. You go down into SEC country, play a very well-coached Kevin Sumlin team. UNLV, that's kind of the game that you sometimes anticipate a team opening its schedule with out of the Mountain West Conference. Not to say that the Bruins can take them lightly. Of course, it's college football. Anyone can win. However, this is probably a game where they kind of can slow down a little bit, get, all, get some of the wrinkles out that they might have encountered against the Aggies, and really set themselves up for the rest of the season. Yeah, they went on the road and beat them 37-3 last year and you know I think we'll probably could see something similar to that I think UNLV you know second year uh, of Tony Sanchez era mm -hmm. I think they are probably are better they've got a new quarterback uh, that the, the UCLA is very familiar with Johnny Stanton who played at Santa Margarita um, and had a little bit of an interesting path he went to Nebraska for mm -hmm. two years but was recovering from a knee injury and I think threw two passes there or got in two games and threw one pass I should say and then kind of went to Saddleback College to show that he could still play last year. Oh, but, I didn't know that. Yeah. I remember I covered Johnny back during his recruitment, and there was one day he wore a Nebraska hat before he committed, and Nebraska fans went nuts. They were so excited to, to have him out in Lincoln. Yeah. Um, yeah. So he, he went, went to Saddleback. I didn't know that. He went to Saddleback, yeah. got to play in the same stadium he did in high school uh, down there in Rancho Santa Margarita mm -hmm. and had a big year uh, running and throwing the ball. He led them in rushing last year, so he's a running quarterback. Um, and, you know, for, for like a Mountain West Conference team, they've got to be thrilled to have him, and, and he will be uh, somebody that UCLA uh, will, will need to contain to win this game. And they also have a, uh, a, a big-time receiver, Devontae Boyd, who's uh, had a couple of uh, touchdown catches last week. They beat uh, Jackson State pretty handily. So mm -hmm. UNLV has athletes that, you know, they can score the ball, but I, I don't think, you know, over the course of uh, four quarters against UCLA, they're going to be able to match up player for player. What do you think going into this game that the Bruins kind of need to flesh out? Well, I, I think they need to – well, it'll, a lot will depend on if Nate Starks plays. I, I still want to see some – more definition in the running game of who's going to be kind of the go-to guy. Um, you know, Bolu Olu Run Fun Me actually had the... Wait, the, how do you say that? One more time. Okay, did I heinously I mispronounce it? I don't know, just it? go for it. This is Bolu fun. Bolu Olu Run Fun Me. I think that's as close as anyone's going to get on Excellent. this. Excellent. 
I'm not going to try. He, uh, he had the, the run of the day, and it was only a nine-yard run, but he was upended uh, near the goal line, kind of planted his hands, but his knees and his elbows never touched the ground, so he kind of like flipped over and kept going and scored a touchdown. And that was the most impressive run of the day. It wasn't the longest run, but showed a lot, a lot of determination that he didn't give up. Um, so-so was, I would say, so-so. Um, to, 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 to put it one way, I know that's horrible, but I, <laughs> it, 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 we, had to, we had to do it at some point, right? You know, he, he showed some, some, some moments, I think particularly running outside on sweeps that, that uh, were good, but, uh, you know, running between the tackles, I thought he was a little bit less impressive. Um, you know, but, you know, first, first game as a starter, he was okay. Like you said, he almost got 100 yards, so you can't really ding him too bad. But I think the Bruins as a team averaged only 3.1 yards per carry, which is pretty pretty abysmal. Um, so they're going to have to up that number a mm-hmm. lot. I think that's a big thing. And then obviously, you know, the, 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 the white elephant in the room is Josh Rosen. Is he going to bounce back from that horrible opener? And I think he will. I think he'll have a big game. So I think those are kind of the two things to watch. It's amazing to, to hear you and I know other people have written it. You know, it was a horrible opener. And yet the overall consensus when you see, you know, hear bigger picture, whether it be on social media or analysts on television talking about Rosen's potential, it, it's still tremendously um, bright, his future. So I think it's surprising that he comes out and throws three interceptions, but maybe it's also a reality check that uh, you still, you can have all that potential upside, but you still have to, you know, play within yourself and not try and do too much. Yeah, I think a lot of people were frustrated because those were the types of plays you would expect to see from a freshman. Yeah, those are the and, kind of plays he made last right. year where he'd be running one way and throw across his yeah. body. And the minute he started his motion, you knew that he was going to regret the throw. So yeah. for him to open a game and open this season, a little bit concerning, but... Overall, I mean, his mechanics and everything else he does is so far and above most other college quarterbacks. Yeah, but the, the thing that everybody mentions with him is, is still the upside, um, you know, the NFL body, the NFL throws. Yeah. But, you know, the, the other side is he is only 8-6. and six. Uh, UCLA is 8-6 and six with him as, as a starting quarterback, and that's not tremendous. So, you know, he's going to need to really lead them kind of to on, a, on a nice winning streak at some point to really show what he can do, to, to be that projected number one pick overall in 2018 that he wants to be. So UCLA, I don't want to look too far ahead because the coaching cliche is one game at a time, but uh, they have UNLV. This is a kind of a good time for them to, to figure out exactly who they are, fix what they need to fix, because then they're going to go on the road to Brigham Young, and then they host Stanford. That's Those are two tough games after to go to Provo and then come right back here and deal with Stanford. Yeah, really tough. I mean, I think uh, you could make a pretty strong case that those are three of their three of the, probably three of their four toughest games. You know, Washington State didn't look so good last week. They got and to go off to Pullman. didn't look so good, you mean they lost to an FCS team. Yes, I was, I was being polite there. Um, but that you know and, Mike Leach is 0-5 in season openers? I did not know Isn't that. Isn't that That's bad? A great stat. Yeah, it's a great stat, right? Um, Read that in the huddle today. <laughs> All right. Um, plug and for, then, plug and, for my new piece in the Los Angeles Times. Yes, yeah. I love it. Uh, but no Stanford, I'm, I'm sorry, no Oregon and no Washington this year. So they really dodged those. Late in the season, they've got, you know, SC. That doesn't look so challenging now. But, <laughs> you know, Utah, Utah and uh, – and Washington State, those those will be tough yeah. games. But you know, they got to get by Stanford, and after that, yeah, they, it's they can like, be some nice yeah, exactly. Ahead. It's going to be all downhill. But you know, BYU. Let's remember. I know, obviously, it's you know almost ten years ago now. But the last time they went to BYU, uh, that didn't go so well. They lost fifty nine to nothing. So that just shows uh, what they can what they can do, particularly at home. BYU is always tough at home. Mm-hmm. 
Moving uh, to Mike Juarez. That's kind of been the saga of fall camp. Now it moves into week one of the season as we approach week two. What's the status of their former five-star recruit? Yeah, it was kind of a non-update update this week. I asked Jim about about Mike, and I said, you know, is there a plan for him going forward? Uh, the implication being to return to the team, even though I didn't expressly say that. And he said, yes, there is. And I, you know, the follow-up well was, well, you know, can you tell us what it is? And he said, no. So. Uh, I, I think even though that didn't really shed any light on the situation, it does seem to indicate that they have some kind of plan to bring him back into the fold and that, you know, keep him on this team, which I think is the important thing, whether it's to redshirt him this year mm -hmm. or, you know, slowly bring him back in and have him playing uh, in a couple of weeks after, after getting in some practice. But the fact that there is a plan, even though it's very ambiguous, uh, I, I think is a, is a good development for UCLA Amike. Have you spotted him at all around campus or outside of practice? I have or not. Anything? You know, it's it, we look for him every day, and it's tough unless you actually, as you know, the the, the main players wear the or go numberless at this it's point amazing. of the year. So the, it's amazing the level of paranoia at college football practices. I, you can drive by NFL training camps and see them from interstates. And they're all out there wearing jerseys with their numbers and names on them. You go to a college campus, and suddenly we can't even put numbers on the guys because there might be spies in the trees <laughs> trying to watch practice. Are yeah, you kidding it me? It does seem a little bit silly, especially since you look out at that field, and there's so many high vantage points that if somebody really wanted to get tape on this team, could do it easily Look, without anybody knowing. if someone really wants to get tape on this team, then they're pathetic and need to reevaluate their own coaching <laughs> yes. skills if those are the kind of measures you're going to go to. That's true. Just saying. Uh, <laughs> anything else football-wise that uh, that popped up? Um, the press Other than, I mean, a, a big game in College Station. Yeah, it was, was kind of a say, quiet... You know, I, I just want to give my impressions of, of a football game at, uh, at Kyle Field. Um, the, uh, the press box does shake pregame. Mm -hmm. uh, was there good food? Everyone always no, loves to talk about the it food. Was, yeah, it was horrible food, actually. Are you they serious? Had, yeah, it was like had, some good Texas barbecue? No, that's what I was expecting, like some nice brisket. It was uh, it was kind of a watery uh, pulled chicken <laughs> with barbecue sauce kind of poured on top. It was very disappointing, and they had hot dogs. So well, Those um, are standard in every game. Yeah, but it was like, uh, I was like, this really is kind of a... Like boiled hot dogs? Those are the uh, yeah, worst. I think they were boiled. I didn't see any grill marks. So, yeah, I was very disappointed there. But I did get on the field for the last few minutes of fourth quarter in the overtime, and it was the, the crowd was tremendous there. Mm -hmm. and, and I must say, I learned my lesson. I was 20 feet away from their stupid cannon when it went off. Oh, you can't wait. that's why you can't hear me asking questions that's out of which ear? <laughs> both ears. <laughs> Uh, so yes, I was not expecting that, and the the, the it, you, you feel like you you die in that instant because you're not expecting <laughs> it. You literally feel like something passed through you, um, like the whole air just kind of gets sucked out of you in that moment. Uh, and I'd forgotten teams in the South and Midwest did that. I you know I I spent my uh, freshman year at the University of Missouri, and all the teams in the in what was the Big Eight back then seemed to have cannons they would fire off after every touchdown. Mm -hmm. And I always thought it was the silliest tradition, but. Um, I had forgotten about that. I was on the field next to the thing when it went off, and I will not mistake that. I make that mistake again. I will always be on the lookout for cannons. Well, here's the thing. Okay, remember uh, the Rose Bowl now, they shoot a cannon off. I think it's an hour, maybe 30 minutes before kickoff. Uh, they kind of started doing that to alert the fans tailgating that uh, game time was approaching because they weren't getting fans in their seats. They have an actual cannon? Well, 
I think it is an actual cannon. Uh, it's loud, but we're in the press box, so okay. so don't be alarmed. Good. And they'll they'll warn you that it's about to go off. Great. I just don't want you jumping out of your seat and probably spilling wine or coffee <laughs> on me. Uh, basketball, quickly. Uh, UCLA returned from Australia. Sorry you didn't get to go. Uh, the land down under. You caught up with Steve Alford. Yeah, I sat down with him this, this morning for a good half hour to kind of uh, – a little bit of a meet and greet there since I'm also covering the basketball team. Was that the first time you met him? It was. Oh, here yeah. we go. First time impression. Uh, really sharp guy. I was very impressed. Um, and you've covered it, Ben. Just a reminder to everyone who doesn't uh, know Ben's background. He's spent the last several years covering the NBA. So basketball is kind of your wheelhouse. Yeah, and I'm all, I've always been a college basketball guy at heart growing up in uh, North Carolina. I'm from Raleigh. Um, uh, it's funny, I was actually born two months before NC State beat UCLA to end John Wooden's run of consecutive national championships. So I always feel like, you know, uh, the cliche is I was born to cover college basketball. Um, but then again, NC State won it again when I was nine, uh, won the national championship again. So uh, the 80s ACC basketball was tremendous. You know, I, I was talked to Steve about that quite a bit because he coached at New Mexico in the pit, which is where NC State beat Houston in the greatest college basketball game of all time in 1983. You probably have not seen that one, Lindsay. I wasn't I born. Okay, well, uh, you need to go back and watch that. Lorenzo Charles grabs the pass out of midair. I mean, get right on that. Dunks the ball. Uh, they, this is a, they, wait. They beat. They had Hakeem Olajuwon and Clyde Drexler. Okay, I actually and, might go back and watch that. And they beat them. Okay. Uh, so it's worth watching. Watch, yeah. Yes. All right. But anyway, so uh, I was talking to Steve about the trip to Australia that UCLA just took. Um, they went to Sydney, Melbourne, and Brisbane. Uh, started off with a little bit of a warm-up against a college team in Sydney. Beat them pretty handily uh, by like 40-something. Uh, then they played two pro teams in Australia. Uh, lost to the team from Melbourne in a close one and then went up to Brisbane and, and won that. And, uh, you know, Steve was talking about the advantages this creates because they got 10 extra practices that they wouldn't otherwise get in the summer. Um, and the two games against what, it's, what, are, what are pro teams, they're going up against guys who are 25 to 30. Um, and, and that's, that's going to be a big advantage for UCLA because they have these three freshmen coming in uh, who are going to be starters, I think, one pretty much right brothers. away. Yeah, Lonzo Ball, T.J. Leaf, and uh, Ike Anig Anigubu. I, I'm probably saying that uh, incredibly wrong, and I apologize. But, uh, you know, they, they all looked good. And, and, and the hype about Lonzo Ball reached Australia because uh, Steve was saying that they were chanting his name uh, when he arrived in, in the different cities. Uh, so his exploits of, of having gone unbeaten at Chino Hills and being mm. – you know, state and some national player Made of the year. The world. Have, uh, that news has traveled around the world. And he thinks that, you know, I, I got the impression, I only watched the first game, but I didn't think Lonzo was tremendous. But I think that this is a, a good kind of get this out of his system of the hype and, and, and the expectations and kind of fighting through that and getting that out of his system now. Well, it's probably also a little bit weird for him to not be playing with his younger brothers who he's played with all of his life. Well, uh, they have committed. You have to learn chemistry at the whole new team. That's true. They, yeah. And, and they, th those brothers, by the way, have committed to UCLA. But yes. the expectation is that Lonzo will be one and done. So he probably will not play with them ever again, which is kind of sad. But Maybe they'll rejoin each other in the NBA. That's true. If the other two uh, are as good as him. That little one is really, really good. Yeah. Lonzo, yeah. LaMelo, and LiAngelo. Yes. I have not I have not seen them play. They're fun. Uh, so I, I look forward to that. I actually was on the sideline, total aside, of their uh, CIF Southern Section championship game. And I'm telling you, watching those kids 
run up and down the floor was a lot of fun. It's too bad for UCLA fans. They'll never all three play together here. It is. Yeah. We can dream, though, right? Basketball fans can dream. Uh, any other takeaways from, from your time talking with Alford? Um, well, the one thing I complained to him about was, uh, you know, they, day one, I'm Ben Gulch. <laughs> let me tell you my complaints. Yes. Uh, well, he had, I don't think he could, could control this, but they're playing Kentucky on December 3rd. And you know what happens December 2nd? No, no, no. Let me try and guess this. I love guessing games. December 2nd is a, not a college football playoff that's happening in January. December 2nd. Um, is, there's a, is UCLA football playing a game? Potentially. That's, that's the big Pac-12 championship game. That's yes. what it, I, that, okay. Yeah. Yep. So, so here's See, the I'm pretty thing. good at guessing games. So potentially, and obviously we don't have no idea at this point, UCLA could be playing a game in Santa Clara uh, Friday night, December 2nd. Yep. And this, as of now, that basketball game is scheduled for a 1230 tip on national TV uh, Saturday uh, in Rupp Arena, which everybody wants there. to go. Well, you don't have to be on a charter flight. No, 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 no. You watch the game Friday night. You get on the 6 a.m. out of... Time change, three-hour loss. You would Even if you left at 6 a.m. with the time change, you would not get there probably until at least halftime. Think about it. Well, do you know what you should start doing right now? What's that? Planting a bug in our boss's ear that you need a charter flight. Well, uh, well but about Dan Guerrero's charter? A, maybe you should plant a bug in their ear that I should go to Kentucky to cover that game. I don't think game. so. I think I'm going to plant a bug in Dan Guerrero's ear that I need to be on that charter flight uh, from Santa Clara to Lexington. To write an article about how UCLA gets demolished by Kentucky. <laughs> well, I need to I go can't believe, I, so part of me thinks they're not going to go for that. Um, you're probably right, but we, but we can ask, right? Okay. Uh, before we sign off on our uh, third episode of the Bear Facts podcast, I, I watched a movie this week. Wow, and was it uh, was did it, was it come out? Was it released woman. before 2015? It was not How to Lose a Guy in Ten Days, and okay. it was not She's All That. So what was it? Goodwill Hunting. Oh, it's I a mean, great movie. It's it's a very solid movie. Very solid. I would not say you it's would a not great say movie. great. No, you don't love Ben Affleck and Matt Damon? Uh, They're no, adorable. I only love Ben Affleck in, in Chasing Amy. That was the only movie I mm. liked him in. Did you see that? Chasing Amy, no. It's a, it's a cult classic. It's I phenomenal. Do, I liked Ben Affleck in the, uh, what's that one? Gone Girl. Did, I have not seen that. I stopped you wa- haven't seen Gone Girl? I, have, I stopped watching Ben Affleck movies probably about 10, 15 years ago. But, uh, Is Ben Affleck that old? He, he's roughly my age. He's, he's probably oh, in his sorry, uh, early, early to mid-40s. <laughs> Um, okay, well, I just thought you'd be happy to know I watched Good That's, Will You're Hunting. headed in the right I'm direction. Ha- yeah. I'll give you credit for that. Which, keep, what should be next? Back. Is there anything else down that same path? Uh, well, around that same time period, uh, have you seen Almost Famous? Yeah, but I couldn't even get past the first 15 minutes. What? Didn't hold my attention. The, the guy's a journalist. You didn't, that was like, he was like... Wait, is that the Kate Hudson one? Yeah, she's in that. It, it's um, I did, because the, the kid got the first-hand look at all the rock star yes. life. I did see that. I'm yes. sorry. And you, it didn't impress you? I mean, you. it just was another movie. Oh, it, that's, I would say it's almost famous, and I would say it's almost perfect. It's one of my top uh, 15 movies. Almost perfect? The movie is almost oh, perfect. Oh, it's, it's been such a writer. <laughs> uh, who He actually got mad at us because we don't have creative enough names for our other podcasts at that's the Los right. Angeles and, Times. Uh, I'm just thrilled we're not listening to UCLA Overtime podcast, so let, let's be happy about that. Okay, so almost famous 
Anything else? I've seen Almost Famous. Uh, let's see. Uh, early 2000s, late 90s. Um... It's tough, I know. Yeah, movies just yeah, aren't. Yeah, you need my to go thing. back. You need you're 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 missing the classics. I think we need to go back and start with classics. I did watch a few good men. Gary Klein had me watch a few good men. Yes. That's the one with um. Jack Tom Nic- Cruise and Jack, Jack Nic- Nicholson. Yes, great movie. Really enjoyed that. That was very good as well. <laughs> not great, just not great. good. All right, this podcast, good, not great. Maybe <laughs> one day it'll be great, not good. It's a work in progress. If you have any questions about UCLA football or basketball, which is quickly approaching, uh, be sure to email Ben, ben ben.bulch at latimes.com. You can also hit him up on Twitter, L-A-T-B-Bulch. I'm not great for questions. No, just kidding. You can ask me any questions, uh, and be sure to check out the, the new huddle uh, article, I should call it, in the Times that we're starting off. It's kind of a bigger, broader view of the college football landscape. Uh, and you can always hit me up on Twitter at Lindsay Theory. Ben, anything you want to say before we sign off? Uh, no, we, we'll get to more wine talk hopefully as the season progresses, but uh, I look forward to that. I guess I should start also learning about wine, not the kind yes, that comes in a box. That's Just correct. kidding. All right, that'll do it for episode three of the Bear Facts Podcast. We'll talk to you next week.